Getting across the Canada-U.S. border has never been overly difficult. There are a lot of countries you can go to where things are a whole lot more challenging. You want to go to Russia? You've got to take your passport. You have to mail it to them. And you think, am I ever going to get this back? I, I kind of need this to do some things. But getting across the border between Canada and the United States, remember when you didn't even need a passport? You'd show up, and if you had a driver's license... You'd get the question, citizenship, and you'd say, Canadian, where are you going? Lions game, Tigers game, Red Wings game, shopping in Port Huron. Those were typical things. You bring anything with you? Nope. Okay, have a nice day, and you'd get your license back. Now, that same conversation can go on, and you get your passport back. However, with what we've seen with the closure to many things as a result of the pandemic, we have seen far fewer than the more than 112 million vehicles that usually cross from Canada into the United States. That was down to 68.5 million in 2020, according to Car and Driver, which still sounds like an awful lot, but let's face it, there were goods that needed to be brought across, and, you know, the number of personal vehicles, that was reduced to almost zero. What has that done? That has made traveling for families who are divided by the border, just like Jaslyn LeClerc and her fiancé Thomas, who we spoke with just about 15 minutes ago. The idea that they are on one side of the border, Jaslyn and her daughter, and her daughter's husband, or her daughter's father is on the other side of the border, Jaslyn's fiancé, and there isn't much they can do to kind of bridge that gap there was one flight that they've had in the last 16 plus months but overall this has been difficult and this is not one situation this is not a rarity this is not a one-off joining us right now is someone who's been paying very close attention to this and that is brona morgan brona thanks so much for being here well thank you for inviting me it was interesting what you were just talking about how easy it used to be to cross the border I'm actually from Niagara Falls originally, and even when I was, you know, before I was even 18, I loved biking around that area, and if I was just, like, felt like going to the parks in the United States, you could just bike across. Like, I would go across without a driver's license at that point because you know the border guards. Like, that's how simple this used to be. Now, obviously, this is pre-9-11, and so, you know, a piece of identification became necessary and whatnot. But, yeah, like, growing up in Niagara Falls... It wasn't even like a separate country because there's two Niagara Falls. There's one on each side of the border. And so that was like one big city to us. And so I think people who are maybe not from a border town don't realize that that, that border was almost like a like an imaginary line to people who are in this kind of situation. And for the last, I guess, 16, 18 months now, it has become a wall. And that is just not a way that we were ever used to living so it's really impacted people's lives in a really profound way that um, you know I appreciate that you're kind of highlighting this issue now because it did take a lot of work for us um, as a group to kind of get people to recognize that this is a really significant thing. Brona you have become among a number of things that you do but you've become a family reunification advocate that in itself suggests there's a lot of people in this situation. What are you finding? 
So it's not, um, you know, one of the things that is really frustrating about this is that people kind of uh, think of a, a family reunification or think of the arguments that we're making as, well, I just want to see somebody for a date. And we, we are talking about families who have, regardless of the fact that they are living on two different sides of the border, they're families. And so this has, this pandemic and obviously lots of restrictions on people's movements and the things that we were able to do were necessary in the interest of public health. But public health is more than COVID. Public health is mental health. Public health is, um, you know, socialized isolation is a huge problem. And so if you think of like not being able to see your friends, that's impacted people. But this is the most important people in your life that you have been by this border unable to be in the presence of. So imagine that like at one of the most challenging times in, you know, a lot of our history for many of us to not have your absolute closest people beside you. And then in other situations, like, for example, like a really ill person potentially, you know, not going to make it and not being able to be with their family at this time. It's just, it's devastating. And for those people who kind of minimize it and say, well, we're all, we've all sacrificed. I think this is a, a like a level of pain that I, I really appreciate that people are starting to empathize with because it's not just the same thing as like, I miss my aunt and I, you know, I didn't get to have the Thanksgiving as big as it was last year. This is this is profoundly impacting people's lives in so many ways. So I'm glad that we're finally getting to the talk about it and hopefully gaining a little empathy for these families. Brona Morgan with us. Family reunification advocate as we talk about families who are legitimately separated by the Canada-U.S. border because of work. And we're talking about mom, dad, children, and that's something that has been incredibly challenging for all of them. Brona, has anything changed? Is there any light of hope for anybody? I think we we were really, um, you know, happy in the fall last year to succeed in a campaign that we had worked on since last spring. They had initially in the spring opened up, um, not open, but made it easier for families to reunite, but you had to be legally married, right? And that was one of the things that we found like really shocking um, coming out of Canada, you know, a place that, you know, is kind of open-minded and recognizing that relationships and families can look all kinds of different ways. So we succeeded in October in getting um, family reunification exceptions to border restrictions for um, common law couples and also for extended family members. So that would be like grandparents and um, adult siblings. But um, one of the more significant things that happened more recently was when the, um, the quarantine hotels got removed. That was a huge barrier, huge cost. And it really... Um, obviously, it was it was to discourage travel because travel became such a, I think, a scapegoat for a lot of problems that we had with you know the second and the third wave of COVID. Um, at, but in reality, it was you know it was a barrier for people who couldn't afford it. It really wasn't a barrier for people. And so again, it was it was not, I think, evenly. It didn't impact everybody in a kind of an equitable way. So anyway, so that went away recently. So that's been really helpful. And then also with the advent of vaccines, um, 
you know, our group is really, really interested in keeping people safe because we have family on both sides of the border. So we have like a huge amount of vaccine uptake within the family reunification um, community. And so allowing people to travel into Canada if they're fully vaxxed um, without the quarantine, you know, just with testing on both sides of the border, that's been extremely helpful. Um, but what we need, I think, going forward is just more accountability because there is really still this chance you go to the border and you get potentially an agent who isn't aware that things have changed or um, isn't aware of, you know, the situation, like doesn't really understand with clarity that people are legitimately allowed to travel. And I don't think the government has been really um, forthcoming enough in making sure that everybody is trained in this, that the laws are being applied equitably across the board. So there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of concern when you get to the border, am I going to get across or not? And so um, we're really at this point advocating for, I get think more accountability in terms of how the guidelines are being administered and making sure that, you know, family reunification is a priority over things like, you know, baseball games and, um, you know, business travel for wealthy people. Absolutely. Bruno, one last thing, and that is we have another date coming up where the United States will have an opportunity to open things up a little bit more. Where does your level of optimism sit? Um, it's always high. I guess that's just me as a, um, that's part of my nature is just to be optimistic about these things. It, it has been tough because every month, you know, you, you wait for that date and it goes by and it's just um, yet another extension. Um, with concerns, obviously, with COVID numbers rising, I'm not, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think it, it's nice that Canada has taken the lead on this because we were, I think, maybe more restrictive in the earlier days. And so I'm hoping that the United States kind of makes their policies make more sense because Canadians have always been able to fly into the United States throughout the pandemic. It's just the land border is the issue. And again, prohibitive for people who can't afford to fly. And that really shows like who these policies are really hurting. And I think with a lot of COVID policies, we really need to sit with the fact that they have had a disproportionate impact on lower income people and, you know, potentially people who are in families that don't look the traditional way. And so, um, yeah, I just, I really hope that the administration recognizes that. We have a, you know, a good groundswell of support in the United States with um, the movement there as well. Obviously, it's a much bigger country and they have political issues that are different than up here. But it's, yeah, keep keep your fingers crossed for us. It's uh, I think it's Saturday coming up is when hopefully things will change and maybe we'll be able to reunite families like Jacqueline's. Maybe. Brona, thank you so much for what you're doing in behind the scenes on this, because it's an awful lot of work. And thanks for sharing it with us this morning. Thank you so much for highlighting it. And uh, yeah, to everybody out there, hang in there. We're not, you know, the movement is still here and we're not giving up. We'll talk again. Okay, take care. That is Brona Morgan, family reunification advocate. Let's break for traffic and weather. Let you know what the day is going to be like, what the week is going to be like. The humidity looks like it's coming back. Mike Stubbs here for Devin Peacock. This is The Morning Show on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us 
until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.